Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. How do we run into the arms of Jesus? Well, one way is right here. We take out his word and we read it, we study it, we know it. And that's what we're going to do right now. Turn with me in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where we will be today as we begin a new series of sermons in the new year. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles that we give you. After the service today, go by the welcome desk and someone will give you a Bible. But if you don't have one right now, there's a Bible underneath a chair, surely, somewhere near you. Pull it out, turn to page uh, 1129, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read most of that chapter. Now, while you're turning to that, let me make a quick announcement. Um, As you know, if you've been around UPC for a while, we are in the midst of uh, considering a change of roles for Matt Ryman and me, uh, sort of an exchange of roles, if you will. Um, We have proposed that Matt move into the position of the organizational leader of the church, senior pastor, so that I might move into the role of a shepherding, discipling pastor. That's a big deal, and we need your prayer. We need your input. And one of the things that we've uh, talked about would be important is for you to get to know Matt better, hear his story in greater detail. And some of you have not really thoroughly heard his story before, so next Sunday morning, we're going to have two Q&A sessions where Matt will be able to let you ask him about anything you want to ask him. And it's going to be two sessions next Sunday morning, one at 1030 for the early service crowd and one at 1215 for you guys, the late service crowd. It'll be over in the other building in the commons, so we hope that you can take advantage of that. Hopefully that'll work out in your schedule. That's next Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let me read beginning verse 1. And I'll read most of the chapter, beginning verse 1. Hear God's word. When I came to you, brothers, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now skip down to verse 10. The second half of verse 10 says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Ask God's blessing upon our time together. Lord, we thank you for your holy and inspired word. We pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you who authored these words through the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago will breathe fresh life into them today that they may change our lives and result in glory for Jesus and in discipleship throughout the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Played football in high school, as I've told you before. That's about the only thing I can brag about anymore. And um, we had a guy who served the football team. His name was Wendell, Wendell Garner. Wendell was our trainer. He was our water boy. He was our gopher. He was our laundry guy. He was our janitor. I mean, anything that we needed as a football team, Wendell did. I remember, I still have images of him at practice. Wendell was always there before we got there. He'd bring the footballs out and he'd bring the equipment out into the field. And Wendell was always there. Whenever we grew tired, whenever we had a timeout, it was Wendell who ran onto the field with Gatorade and brought us what we needed. After practice, Wendell, we would go home. Wendell would stay. Wendell would take care of our equipment. He would put things away. He would tend the the locker room. He would take care of everything. When we had games, it was Wendell who was on the sidelines cheering us on, coming out when there were timeouts on the field, bringing the Gatorade, bringing the towels and whatever care we needed. It was Wendell who delivered that care. Wendell didn't say much. He was a modest kind of soft-spoken guy, but he moved in and around and out and through our football program without a lot of fanfare, so much so that it can be said without exaggeration that if it had not been for Wendell Garner, there would not have been a successful football program in my high school. Wouldn't it be great if every single one of us had a Wendell? You know what I mean? I'm saying... It wouldn't it be great if every time you had a crisis, there was someone right there to whom you could call out in your weakness and say, help me out here. Wouldn't it be great if every time there was something happening in your life that brought you down, that brought you challenge, there would be someone who could be right on the spot, you know, that, that would be just like Wendell. Well, guess what? When I think of Wendell Garner... I think of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that person that I'm describing. Like Wendell, the Holy Spirit is a very modest member of the triune God. He doesn't make a lot of noise. He doesn't come in and out with a lot of fanfare, but he moves through our hearts all the time, helping us, sustaining us, strengthening us, so much so that it can be said without exaggeration that If there were no Holy Spirit, there would be no Christianity. You could not live your Christian life without the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, there would be not one convert to Christianity in all the world. And yet, you ask the average Christian to tell you what they know about the Holy Spirit and His work, 
And don't be surprised if you get a very short answer or a blank stare. For many Christians, he's the forgotten member of the Trinity. But we neglect the Holy Spirit and we ignore his ministry to our peril. That's why over the holidays, as I thought about, okay, what are we going to do next as a church family after the first of the year? What are we going to do next? God seemed to just put it on my heart with some urgency that we turn to a study of the Holy Spirit. And so for the next eight weeks or so, January and February, we're going to focus our studies on sermons on the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. It's funny, I put that out on Facebook and I got all these comments like, what, a Presbyterian preaching about the Holy Spirit? What has happened? You know, it must be the end of the world or something. Why is that, I ask? Well, I think it's understandable because Presbyterians are sort of known for our focus on the sovereignty of God the Father and the cross work of God the Son. But there is not a reason in the world why the Holy Spirit should not be another focus of the Presbyterian church and of our church and of you and your family because of the necessity of knowing who he is and what he does in your life. So this morning I want to answer a few simple questions. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Two, what does he do? And third, why does that matter? So let's dive in. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he is the third person of the Trinity. Now, when I say the word person, don't let that throw you off because the English language is simply not helping us out a lot here. We could use a highly technical word like we could call him the third subsistence of the Trinity, but not many people know that word much anymore. We could say being, but still it seems like person is just sort of the word we've grown accustomed to using. Person with a capital P makes a lot of sense. What we mean is not that he has a body, arms, legs, knees, toes, and so on. What we mean is that the Holy Spirit is personal, He has personal qualities. He has personality. So he's the third person of the Trinity. Now that brings up the whole subject of the Trinity. And that could be a sermon or a series in itself. And we can't do that. But let me just say a few brief words about the Trinity. In case you stumble over that doctrine. The Bible teaches that God is a tri-unity. One God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This means that the Holy Spirit is the same in substance with God the Father and with God the Son. He is equal in power with those two members of the Trinity. He is equal in glory with those two members of the Trinity. And yet at the same time, he's distinct from them and they are distinct from him. You say, well, is this in the Bible? And the answer is yes, it is. There are places in the Bible where all three members of the Trinity are mentioned almost in the same breath to the point that you get the image, you get the picture that these are three co-equal members of the Godhead. Let me show you just three of these. One is in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, Jesus is getting baptized. So he is there in the flesh in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit comes out of heaven in a, in, like a dove and descends upon our Savior. And the voice of God the Father comes out of heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. 
So there in one short paragraph, you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, you have God the Father. They are all doing their thing there. Another example would be Matthew 28 in the Great Commission that we take as the mission of UPC. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And a third example would be at the end of the book of 2 Corinthians. It gives a benediction, a good word, a word of blessing. We use this benediction here many times. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So those are just a few, and there are other examples, but those are a few that show that there are places in the Bible where the Trinity is taught, and the word Trinity is not used, but the concept is there. And I'm going to say more about this in a little while. But it's hard, isn't it, for our finite minds to grasp this concept. God is one, but he is three at the same time. See, we are not polytheists. We do not believe in many gods. We believe in one God. And yet at the same time, we are Trinitarians. We believe that this one God has always existed in three distinct persons. How can we make sense of that? Well, we've tried in some analogies. Uh, I've used a few of these here, especially with our children, getting across the concept of, of the Trinity. And moms and dads, you can try to do this as well. You can talk, for example, about water. Water being a liquid, a gas, and a solid. That's one and three. Uh, one of my favorites is Neapolitan ice cream. Chocolate, vanilla, strawberry in one box. That's, you know, the analogies break down after a while. I realize that. Uh, Gordon Clark is a theologian who used the analogy of dice. He said, think, for example, of dice. Here in my hand are three die, uh, each of a different size or type or color. Same picture there on the on the screen, Gordon Clark talked about dice being a good illustration or an analogy because they all share the same essence of cube. Cube is a real object, not a sensory object, but a real object. And dice share the same es- uh, the, the, the same uh, the same part of that essence being. Cube. Any one of these dice does not exhaust the idea of cube, nor is cube divided among the three dice that I'm holding here in my hand. No, cube exists outside each die and is not divided among them. And in the same way, you can say that God is the same essence. He is the common unity of the three persons of the Godhead. Each person possesses the one divine substance or essence or being. But that's when our circuits begin to, you know, they just start firing and blowing because that's about as far as we can get, guys, to understand this mystery of the Trinity. But it is definitely there in the Bible. Sometimes I think we subconsciously rank the three members of the Trinity We put the Father up at the top and say he's the most important person. And then we put the Son of God sort of under him. And then the Holy Spirit is sort of fortunate to get third place. And that is not the way we should deal with the members of the Trinity. Yes, it is true that there is an economy within the Godhead. So that the Father sends the Son into mission in the world, and the Father and the Son send the the Holy Spirit into the hearts of Christians and into the church. 
But there is no ranking of the Trinity in deity or in importance. Because, see, without the Holy Spirit, God ceases to be God. Take the Spirit or any one of the the persons out of the mix and you don't have God anymore. The Father, Son, and Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal, co-glorious. The Holy Spirit is just as worthy of our worship and praise and trust and prayer and love as is the Father and as is the Son. So let's talk a little bit more then about the Holy Spirit. His name. Let's start with his name. Uh, Greek language, it's pneuma in the Hebrew uh, vocabulary. It was ruach. It means wind. It means breath or power. So you would not be out of line in calling the Holy Spirit the breath of God, the wind of God, the power of God. He is called in the Bible the Spirit of the Father, At other times, the spirit of the Son or the spirit of the Lord, spirit of holiness, spirit of truth. And there are other names of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be learning through this series. Now, let's go back and say that if if the uh, Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, we can say two more things about him. Number one, he is a person. I've hinted at this already, but he is a person. He is not a force. We do not say, may the force be with you. He is not a force. He is not an it. He is a he. And by the way, ladies, that is the universal he. We're not omitting the feminine. It is the inclusive gender. He is the Holy Spirit. He is referred to as a he throughout the Bible. Look in our text and you're going to see that the Holy Spirit does things that only a person can do. For instance, in verse 10, he reveals... In verse 10, he searches. In verse 11, he knows. In verse 13, he teaches. There are other places in the Bible where you'll see that the Holy Spirit is doing things that only a person can do. He speaks, for example. He gives gifts. He loves. He guides. He comforts. He counsels. He encourages. He helps. He appoints. He exerts his will. And the list could go on. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. You can only blaspheme someone with personal qualities, right? Paul in Ephesians 4.30 says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Hebrews 10.29 says that the Holy Spirit can be insulted. Or another word is outraged. Acts 5.3 says that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. Do you realize you can lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, you can only lie to persons, not things. So Holy Spirit is a person. See, Christianity is not like the Eastern religions that think of God as an impersonal force. And the Eastern religions say that in order to connect with this impersonal God, you have to empty your mind of all words and rational thoughts and shut off rational thinking so that you connect with this impersonal God, this force. Again, Star Wars would be a great example of that. I used to love, still do, the Beatles. One of their songs put this into focus. He says, turn off your mind, relax and float downstream, lay down all thoughts, surrender to the void. You remember that song, Tomorrow Only Knows? 
Well, that's an example of how a lot of people view God, and that's not Christianity. We relate to God. We relate to the Holy Spirit with our minds. We speak to him words that make sense. We hear him speak to us by reading the Bible. Christianity is a rational religion. You don't empty your mind. You use your mind. You stretch your mind. It's an intellectual pursuit as much as it is a pursuit of the heart. So the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. And the second thing that we want to say is that the Holy Spirit is God. He is fully God. He is not a mere emanation from God. He does things that only God can do. Like the Father and the Son, the Spirit is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Do you know where you first meet the Holy Spirit in the Bible, by the way? It's not in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the first chapter of the whole Bible. Genesis 1, 2. It says, That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What a a mysterious but beautiful picture of our Holy Spirit. Eternally existing, hovering over uh, the primordial mass of the waters. So the Holy Spirit is eternal. He always has been and always will be. He is called in Hebrews 9, the eternal spirit. Only God is eternal. He is omniscient. He knows everything. Verse 11 of our text says this. It says that no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Psalm 139 says that where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Only God is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is infinite. It says in Isaiah 40, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, well, nobody. Nobody can measure the Spirit of the Lord because he is infinite. He's also omnipotent. He can do all his holy will. Jesus knew that when he said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the Holy Spirit is God. He does things that only God can do. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired the prophets, who predicted the sufferings of the Messiah who caused Jesus' conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary, who anointed and empowered Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, who authored the Bible, who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, who invites people to come to Christ, who regenerates sinners, who builds the church and directs church leaders and missionaries to do their thing. He indwells and seals believers. He gives us a down payment on our full inheritance. He baptizes us. He he enables us to say Jesus is Lord and to cry, Abba, Father. He empowers us to deny the flesh and exhibit the fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He enables us to grasp the incomprehensible love of Christ. He prays for us. He helps us to pray. And He raises us to glory from the dead. That's a list of things that I found in the Bible, all attributed 
to the work in the person of the Holy Spirit. Those are things that only God can do. So he's a person, not a force. He's God, not an emanation from the Father. So much then for who the Spirit is. I think we've banged that drum long enough. What does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, I've mentioned many things already, but let's make it simple. Let's leave 1 Corinthians 2 for a while and turn to John chapter 14. John is the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Turn to John chapter 14. Let me show you verses 1 and 2 and a few other verses. Jesus is speaking here in John 14. He's in the upper room. It's just hours before he's betrayed, handed over to the authorities, uh, tried, condemned, crucified on Good Friday. It's still Monday, Thursday, John 14. Look at verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, disciples. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is saying here, I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave you physically. Now look down at verse 15 later in the chapter. If you love me, he goes on to say, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. Now we're going to look at this subject in two weeks. This is the Greek word parakletos. Paraclete, you might have heard that word, means helper or counselor or comforter or better, advocate. And so Jesus is saying, I'm an advocate. I'm going to give you another advocate to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, Jesus is sounding confused here, but he's not confused. He's saying, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then look down at verse 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now the Father and the Son together come and live with us, His people. So what are we learning here? Jesus is not here. He has left us. He has gone away. But He is here in the person of the Holy Spirit. Someone has called the Holy Spirit the divine personal resident of the Christian's heart. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is the divine personal resident of the Christian's heart. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 is going to say, don't you know you're God's temple and that the Holy Spirit lives in you. So he is the divine personal resident of your heart. So the question to answer is, what is the Spirit doing as he resides within us? He is creating life. He is creating life. He is applying the redemptive work of Christ to our hearts and minds. And he is applying the redemptive work of Christ to his church. He is bringing to life that which is there. 
and making it real, making it experienced, making it something you feel, something that changes you and something that changes other people. Just as the Holy Spirit brooded or hovered over the waters and breathed material life into nothingness, so now the Holy Spirit's job is to breathe spiritual life into our dead hearts. The Holy Spirit takes our weakness and transforms it into strength. He takes our doubts and He changes them into assurance. He takes our sorrows and turns them into joys. He takes our sin and changes it more and more as time goes on into holiness. He takes our stagnation and he turns it into renewal. Isn't it true, brothers and sisters, that we wake up in the morning so often and we feel dead and cold and dry in our hearts? I do. Often I'm so... Uh, I, I so lament the fact that I see inside this heart of mine not enough love for Jesus, the one who has died for me. I see only selfishness sometimes and the stubbornness of indwelling sin. And so it is the Holy Spirit's work as he resides in this heart to bring spiritual life to the dryness and the coldness that are sometimes there. That's the Spirit's job. This is why someone once wrote a hymn called Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Uh, Fill me with life anew that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou dost do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until my will is one with thine and to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly thine, till this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine. It is the Spirit's job to blow upon these embers of our hearts. You've built a campfire many times, I'm sure, and you know that it dies down after a while and you've got the coals there. And so what do you do? You come up to the fire and you... Blow upon them, hoping that the ember, the glow becomes a flame and the flame becomes a fire and it begins to put out heat and warmth and light again. And that's the Spirit's work in the heart of God's people. I said there were three questions I wanted to answer this morning. One, who is he? What does he do? Third, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Well, it's obvious, right? It's obvious based on what I've just said. It's obvious why it matters that the Holy Spirit does this work because without this work of the Holy Spirit applying the gospel to our hearts, bringing the gospel to life in our lives, we are dead. We are dry. We are empty. We are cold. We are like Ezekiel's valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. We have nothing to live on. We have nothing to live for. We have nothing to give. We have nothing to attract the non-Christian, to Jesus. We may know a lot. Heck, we might have a seminary degree. We might have a PhD behind our name. But if not for the work and the person and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it won't do us a bit of good. It won't, be, it won't matter to anybody. It won't accomplish any spiritual progress, either for us or for others. We may have the notes We may know the lyrics, but without the person and work of the Holy Spirit alive and and upon whom we're depending consciously, we will not have the music 
of the gospel. And don't you want the music, friends? It's not enough to just know it. We want to live out of it and give it and let it be a constant daily reality in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, it'd be like showing you this candy bar that Matt alluded to earlier. You know this must taste really good. It's dove chocolate and it's dark chocolate. But until you actually break off a little bit of it like I'm going to do, you don't know it. Only I do. This is good. This is good stuff. In the early service, I took like a big chunk of it, and I was just, ah, I couldn't talk anymore. But see, that's what it is when you depend upon the Holy Spirit. The facts begin to transform you and begin to flow out to others. Life. We want our church to be a place of life. Not mere head knowledge. I said earlier, it's an intellectual pursuit. It is. But it's the Holy Spirit's work to take the facts and to breathe life into them. I prayed this morning as I prepared my sermon. I asked God, the Holy Spirit, breathe life into my words that they might do some good. Otherwise, it's just an intellectual pursuit. And you can do that anywhere. Why come to church? Did you hear verse 12 of our text today? Here is why it matters. Look at this verse. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, it's the Holy Spirit's work to make it understandable and to, and to help us experience it. He causes the lyrics of the gospel to become music to our ears and music to our souls. So here's what I'm asking of you today as we begin 2013. I'm asking you, I'm asking myself to try to become more aware of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And more consciously dependent upon his ministry of being the Spirit of God in our lives. More consciously dependent Upon him moment by moment. I'll leave you with a story from the prophet Zechariah. You don't read that book very often, right? But Zechariah the prophet lived during a very discouraging time in the history of the nation of Judah. The people had returned from their Babylonian exile, but the work on the temple had ground to a halt. The people were despondent, they were blue and discouraged. There were enemies within and enemies without who had brought the work on the temple to a halt. And it was to this weak, discouraged group of people that God gave this message through the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 4, verse 6, where he said, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, things get done says the Lord Almighty. When you take a look, for example, at your discouraging circumstances, and some of you have daunting, daunting circumstances to look at today, remember that your help will not come by your might or your power, but it will come by the Holy Spirit. As you think about raising your kids, for instance, raising your family to know and love God, Remember that you will be able to do this not by the sheer force of your will, not by the cleverness of your parenting techniques, but by the help of the Holy Spirit. 
As you do battle with that stubborn sin in your life, remember that victory will come not by your self-reliant willpower, not by trying harder, but by the Holy Spirit's help. And finally, as we at UPC think about the challenges before us, as we go and make disciples of all nations, let's remember that this mission will be accomplished not by our great powers of evangelism or some amazing new techniques, but by our conscious daily reliance upon the help of the Holy Spirit and upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is not by might nor by power, but by God's Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that, oh, triune God, you are for us. You are for us. You have pursued us in love and you pursue us every day through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And it's just amazing to us that you would love us so much. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans. You have come to us. The Holy Spirit is the divine personal resident of God in our hearts. And we pray that you will help us to learn how to depend upon him more, how to call upon his help, help us to remember the story about Wendell and to remember that you are always there to be our counselor, our comforter, our advocate and our helper. We pray, Lord, that you will do this work and use the Lord's Supper in our lives that we're about to have as a means of deepening the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407 Three eight four three three zero zero.